and welcome to Kvikminderpod, an Icelandic cinema podcast. I'm Rob Watts, and as ever, I'm joined by my good friend Ellie Cawthorn for another journey through the cinema of Iceland. We're back from our year of dicks in America, where we got a couple of Oscar predictions right, although sadly we did get one wrong. Hard luck, Sarah, we thought you thoroughly deserved it. But we return to a wintry Reykjavik where author and mother Saga is experiencing some problems with her memory. Yes, this week we are discussing Quake, or Skjalfti, from director Tina Hraunsdottir, based on the book Story Skjalfti, or Grand Mal, by Oida Jonsdottir. An almost noir story set within a small family unit, Quake is an intriguing exploration of how memory works and what memories mean to those who remember them, or struggle to remember them. It's now available to rent or buy on Amazon, so Ellie and I did just that and sat down to chat. Saga. <laughs> Hi Ellie. Hi Rob. How's it going? Good, thank you. How are you today? Very well, thank you very much. Um, what have you been uh, up to recently? Moving house? Well, trying to move trying. house. Uh, watching the film Quake I've actually been up to lately. Really? How about you? That's weird. <laughs> I did the same thing. Oh, what Seems was that for? It's for a little podcast, actually, um, I do with a friend. What's it called? Well, that would be telling. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, just been chilling, really. Nice. Seen any good films? Well, I went to see Tar, actually, um, last week, this week, um, which I know you saw recently. I really, I found it very engrossing. I don't know if enjoy is the right word, but it's, um, I... It's a lot. Yeah, a lot to process at the end. Uh, With that, with no spoilers for that, because, you know, it's still in the cinemas, but I came away confused in in a satisfying way. Mm. Did you feel similarly? I felt similarly, uh, and I... I had all these questions by the end. I was mm. like, yeah, but if she, is she Don't imagining spoilers. things? Blah, 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 blah. Okay, that'll do. But I found an article online that basically addressed every single thought that I had. And I was like, yes. I think I read this basically same one. a horror film. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is probably why we liked it. Perhaps, yeah. No, but I thought that was fantastic. Kate Blanchett, server that Oscar up. 
I'd say. That's fair enough. Yeah, that's nailed She's on. putting enough work there. Mm. She has won Oscars, though, I think. Have you seen any other Oscar-nominated films? Well, sadly, I have seen Top Gun, whatever the hell. Maverick. Maverick, that's it. Oh, it was such a pile of crap. I I watched it at Christmas. I was doing a really intense jigsaw at the same time. So (laughs) maybe maybe that didn't, you know, set me up for the best viewing experience. I couldn't believe it when that made the top list. And also, a lot of people I'm speaking to are like, that was great. And I'm like, did I see the same film as everybody else? I well, thought it, it sound- was a pile of pants. Sounds like you just are wrong. <laughs> um, I loved that film. Proper, proper cinema blockbuster. But- I, I maybe I have no interest in the American military. No interest in planes. Maybe that you know, I, it's not for me. You weren't excited to see them fulfil their mission. No, I didn't care. Okay, well then, it's not for you, is it? <laughs> uh, I thought it was fantastic, and it built on that first film from the eighties, which actually is quite bad. Uh, and it made it seem like a five-minute prologue to this film, which actually has a story, and yeah, it's just amazing. Anyway, it's got lots of oiled, topless men running around on beaches as well, which you know, mm-hmm. that's a one way to win win over the. That Oscar distracted judges. you from the jigsaw, didn't <laughs> <Yeah>. it? <laughs> <laughs> the only other one I watched recently was All Quiet on the Western Front, which mm. I'm sure you're interested on my in list. as yeah. a historian. Uh, brutal, bleak. Looks amazing. The soundtrack is amazing. It's the story of World War One, told from the German perspective, and it's—I mean, war's not good for any side. Really, I'm, I'm working up my emotional resilience for that one. Mm-hmm. It's worth it, though. Mm. Yeah. Uh, but should we talk about the film we're here to discuss? Yes, let's get down to business. Which you have mentioned, and that is Quake from 2021, also known as Skjalfti. Uh, by director Tina Hrounsdottir. And this is a kind of family drama, mystery, kind of psychological thriller. thriller. Yeah, Yeah. I'm glad you said that. (laughs) Um, And it's based on a novel called Grand Mal. Grand Mal meaning the type of epileptic fit that our character has in this film. So I guess... I was thinking of the French big bad. Big bad. Well, that's what they called the type of epileptic fit. Um, Although I have done some research and it's now not called that. Probably for that reason. (laughs) The big bad. Big bad fit. Yeah, it sounds (laughs) sounds probably not, you know, It's not very reassuring, is it? No. While we're here, before we get into it, it's now called tonic-clonic epileptic seizure. Okay. uh, Which is the kind of epileptic fit that most people will be aware of where a person will fall to the ground and they'll violently shake, uh, which is how the film kind of starts. So mm. it opens... It's and the we... opening set piece, isn't it? Pretty Even much. if it isn't the opening scene. Yeah. So we meet a writer called Saga and she is, I mean, that name. Yeah. There is going to be a family saga here. Mm-hmm. She's a writer herself. There's all sorts of secrets and stories. Every the amount of writers portrayed in films and books, like you'd think that fifty percent of the population was writers. I guess it's a very like useful narrative vehicle if somebody's a writer, isn't it? Yeah, it's true. I mean, we've seen it recently in Life in a Fishbowl. Mm-hmm. I think Saga even has a conversation with her publisher about you know how much of this is 
true to life and how mm. much of it's fiction, which is exactly what... Uh... Mori. Mori, good, good Thank memory. Thank you. I do remember some things. <laughs> exactly what he was saying in Life in a Fishbowl. And yeah, I guess that thing of everyone's a writer. I mean, in Iceland, everyone is a writer, <laughs> I think. You know, everyone reads books, everyone writes books. The book flood before Christmas, which we spoke about briefly. So I'm not surprised that there's a writer in this film. I'm sorry, I've just like completely waylaid you explaining the plot of this film with the, that inane comment about writers. That's okay. <laughs> That's fine. Um, but yes, so Saga is a writer. And at the start of the film, we basically, we have this amazing drone shot all mm. the way across the city. And this is probably the best shot in the film. It's amazing. All the way across past Halgrimskirche, across the city, down into a park where we see a mother and a son walking. And basically, once we meet them, Saga has a fit, which we've already spoken about. Mm. But I think there's there's something else going on, isn't there? Before, it's not like, oh, they're having a lovely time and then suddenly this fit comes from nowhere. There's a real sense of dread. And I mm. um, tried to avoid kind of looking up too much about this film, so when it... I tried to go in quite cold. Yeah. Um, and I wasn't sure where it was going to go. I thought it was going to go down like a missing child route. Or it had a real sense of like something bad is coming. Mm -hmm. She's on the brink of like a breakdown of some kind. But it went down a more medical route than I had anticipated. Sure. Yeah. Especially that, that opening bit where she has her seizure after thinking she's like her son's gone missing mm. um which brought to mind i remember you because yeah i was instantly in the mind of like oh he's gone then yeah he's where's he gone and also just you know like a, a kind of scandy um crime missing child is mm -hmm. yeah this is a it's a sort of nordic noir but mm. not really but you know what? i haven't actually said the synopsis shall i read i did write one so shall i I'll say it anyway. Go on then. We wouldn't want to waste your work of writing one. Thank you. While out walking with her young son, a mother named Saga has an epileptic fit. Following a hospital visit, Saga realises she can't remember certain things about her life. Why she's divorced her husband, the location of her phone, etc. All the while, her family, or rather her mum, attempt to protect her by sending Eva, her son, off to live with his dad and confining Saga to her Reykjavik flat. As Saga tries to prove she is well and remember what's happening in her life, fragmented memories of her childhood bubble to the surface. Memories that will reveal dark family secrets. Mm. I mean, we basically just talked about all of that anyway, but there you go. There's, <laughs> there's a synopsis to put on the DVD case. Yeah, there's something bubbling away, isn't there, from the very beginning. And it's more a question of what, what that is rather mm. than the cause of it or anything. Yeah. Come home.
so we meet Saga and she's very, she seems really overprotective of her son, mm. which Lots is understandable. Yeah, <laughs> completely. Uh, but there's something doesn't feel quite right. There's the music that is kind of all over the place. The discordant strings certainly put you on edge. Yeah, she's got an eye twitch. She's got an eye twitch, has she? Yeah. Did you not notice the eye twitch? Well, I noticed her having a seizure. No, no. Like throughout different sequences of the film, when she was, before she had seizures, mm. but not like directly before, like in the scenes before, like in the park, she's got, she had an eye twitch oh. running throughout, which is a sign of bad things to come. Good spot. I hadn't noticed, but yeah, I'm assuming that's, yeah, if you can spot that kind of thing medically, you might be able to predict a seizure coming. I don't know. But after she's had this seizure, we find her in hospital. Her son is okay. She doesn't remember what's happened. She doesn't remember really where he is or, or what's going on. But we meet her family and her overprotective mother, mm. which I don't know. Well, immediately there's a, I found a slightly strange vibe that everyone seemed annoyed with her mm. for having a seizure and kind of to blame her and say you, your son can't be left with you you need to sort this out and it's like she's got a medical condition like you need to support her not kind of blame her for that medical condition which yeah. I guess was a choice made in the way that they wanted to take the characters and stuff but I thought that there was going to be something else going on there which there wasn't really in the end no and that's why I thought it was going to be a psychological thriller because mm. It reminded me of things like, um, I don't know, Unsane or yeah, know, the classic kind yeah. of... Um, Everyone thinks I'm mad, <clears throat> every, yeah. but I'm not mad. But I'm not mad because you're like, well, it's okay, she's had, she has an illness, she's had a seizure and now everyone's like, well, we've got to take your son away from you. You must go and stay in your flat. You don't deserve any responsibility now. You need to just rest up and be on your own and just a bit like... Bit prisony. Yeah, and she's like, "Why won't you tell me where my son is, or why won't you explain anything to me?" And it was just a bit like, "Okay, where does where are we going here, and why are mm. they acting like this?" Yeah, I mean, in, immediately the family dynamics are slightly mysterious. I would say with her estranged husband, but also with her like her family and her sister and her parents. Mm. And I think you're trying to work out who to trust. And who not to trust throughout. Sure. I'm, is it about trust or is it just about, I don't know, motives? Why Why are they acting like that? Like, mm. I don't know whether I don't trust her mum. I was questioning why she was acting mm. in the way she did. But I don't know whether it was about, like, whether I trusted her to make the right decision. I was just wondering why she was mm. making these decisions. So, yeah. But I, I guess, know. I guess... The crux of this is this idea of like repressed memories mm. coming back to the surface and she gets flashes of those that we kind of see unfolding throughout the film. And for me, the question is, well, what are those memories? Clearly, there's some kind of violence. Clearly, there's some kind of distress. And then you're like trying to figure out, oh, well, is it her dad? Is it her husband? Yeah. Um, what's the story here? Yeah, that's true. Of somebody keeping something from her. Yeah, because it's weird, isn't it? Because she forgets her immediate memories, but then suddenly she's having all these repressed memories bubbling to the surface in the form of mostly, for us as an audience anyway, auditory, audio kind of things. Like she hears 
um, her parents arguing. She hears a jewelry box, like music box type thing. She hears a baby crying. I I don't know whether that's a thing that happens after no, an epileptic I... fit. Apparently, you can experience memory loss. Mm. But I wonder how often you <laughs> uncover... Unlock memories from your child. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like somebody is perhaps... Um, the writer of presumably the book this is based off is... Maybe maybe you can, but has been like really interested in repressed memories and then thought, right, what's the like vehicle I can have mm. for this? Oh, like a seizures and epileptic fits. But I did look up... Um, the connection between epilepsy and emotional strain and stress and stuff. And that does exist. So like emotional strain, insomnia too, I guess they're quite closely linked, mm -hmm. can bring on seizures. So it's not just a purely physical thing. Sure. And that's what the doctor says. The doctor played by Sigurdur <laughs> once again. Uh, but he explains how, yeah, there's nothing medically wrong with you. you we know you have epilepsy, but like, Nothing else, upping your dosage isn't going to change anything. You need to de-stress. You need to you know, calm, just be calm. This leads us to, I mean, we've kind of gone into spoilerific territory anyway, but mm. to a chicken and egg question, right? Yeah. Which is, is it that she's got these repressed memories returning that leads her to have a fit? Okay. So like, as in, is it emotional turmoil bubbling under the surface that erupts into a fit yeah or is it that she has a fit and then that kind of triggers this memory loss which then triggers other memories coming back and it messes with basically her her memory so is it the fit or the memory that comes first do you get my point <laughs> i get your point um it's, it is hard to know it's it sounds like it was a slightly stressful situation pre fit because she's Divorced her husband. She's not handed her book in, classic. She's not handed the book in. This is stressful. She's got three more weeks. Um, and there was a good good uh, quote at the start of the film from the publisher, which was that she basically says, you need to delve into the background and reasoning to understand the character of Gudrun. Oh. It's like, oh, that's what we're going to do now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, but yeah, it is it's a stressful thing. So I think maybe, yeah, the stress brought on the fit first and foremost. But mm. those repressed memories would always have been there because we can see that perhaps it was the birth of her son, which mm. sort of began this downhill slide. The, the slightly into... heavy handed moments weren't there. It must be said just where um, like her ex-husband says, you were never like this before our son was born. <laughs> and you think, yeah, well, we didn't know that. Yeah. Useful, useful, useful to know. Yeah. And the many, many moments where the windows are open. Yes. You've got to close the windows. You have got to close the windows. I mean, at one point when Saga goes to Berger's house, there's a window wide open in the middle of like a snowstorm. <laughs> Make sure you close the window. Why is it open? Why is it open? No one would have that window open. In Iceland, they, you know, bit of fresh breeze. <laughs> <laughs> bit of Arctic yeah. breeze, yeah. Keep you awake. <laughs> but yeah, these things are a little bit heavy handed. But I think maybe the, yeah, maybe the, the repressed memories start to bubble once Eva is born. And it's taken however long. I think they say 10 to 12 years since she last had a fit. Don't know how old Eva is, but... Uh, Six or something, maybe? 
Yeah. Looking at him. Maybe. I'm not good with children ages. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's taken a bit of time for that to sort of rise to the surface. And then, yeah, once he goes missing, it's kind of, that's the big trigger for the epilepsy to kind of kick in. But also maybe at the same time, the repressed memories, it all happens together. Yeah. I don't know. Repressed memories are quite a classic, like psychological thriller vehicle, mm. aren't they? For like for books, but also in film as well. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, TV it's, drama. it's like in any kind of investigative drama, noir specifically. Like the memories are always crucial. Whether or, it's interesting because this is really just about investigating her memories. It's not. There is no crime that a detective has come in to search for and actually saga's memories are going to be helpful in finding the killer or whatever we've kind of just got that half a story in a way where you've take take the detective out and we've just got a character muddling through her mind trying to understand what's going on and icelandic fiction is full of that um mm. secrets and Again, family. it's this the, the yeah generational secrets, family secrets is such a recurring theme mm -hmm. that we've come across. You you mentioned uh, I remember you, and that really was what I was getting from this as well. Yeah, very much the idea about childhood um, secrets and dark things in the past that people have covered up. Yeah, and that's that's uh, based on another book, Isasigathadatir, and most of Arnold Durandrithasan's books start with things that happened in the past and people then in the current trying to figure out what happened or a body being found like in sisterhood the tv show a body is found throughout the series you get glimpses of certain characters memories of what happened and it's this idea of like what's yeah what's true and what's false memory mm -hmm. um, because there's an, an element of this film that saga may or may not be remembering things that happened you never know although we're not giving much reason to believe they're not real memories i suppose Þetta var hans sem ekki áfall fyrir litla greið. Erfitt fyrir svona lítið barn að vera vitnað svona. Hann er enda það lítilla líklega sklemir hann þessu. En með út að jafna þig er ekki vissar að að hvað? Hann hefði geta orðið fyrir bílsaka. Við verðum að vera vissum og geti borið ábyrð á hann. Talking of sisterhood, Berger, who's played by Svein Gersen, plays an amazing dad character in that. <laughs> so we seem like we always talk about bad dads. Mm. And there's, there's a bad dad in this film. Do you think? Oh, well, oh yeah, oh, sorry. Yeah. yeah. Not Berger. Yeah, I was going to say, I thought he's I quite good dad. They, but... I think they want us to think perhaps Berger's a bad dad, but mm. he's pretty fair. He's he's fair. And I think when she, when Saga comes back from hospital and he's like, oh no, 
Eva staying with me, I think it's probably for the best, at least in the short term, because you need to recover. That's entirely fair. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. Like, I'm not going to, I wouldn't argue with that. I would just let it happen. Mm. But yeah, he plays this amazing dad character in Sisterhood. Uh, and there's an amazing scene between him and his wife in that program, uh, which is currently on all four, I think. So Walter Presents. I think I mentioned it last series. Uh, so that's worth checking out. Um, but he's actually the director's husband as well. Oh, really? So yes, yeah, Svein Geyerson is Tina Hraunstatir's husband. Oh. So there's connections all over the place. And he also was the music editor for this film. He was? Yeah. The multi, multi-talented people of Iceland. Exactly, exactly. Um, I wanted to give a shout out to Anita Brim as our lead protagonist, mm. because I think she does an amazing job of this portrayal of a woman who's like really on the brink the whole time. Like yeah. she is one step away from a utter meltdown. Like, and <laughs> I mean, that goes from like her hair that's like kind of just not really brushed at the back. I mean, my hair's never brushed at the back. <laughs> hopefully, no, does, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully I'm not on the brink of a breakdown, but um, this like the, the eye twitch and then just everything in her face, she just, is like on constant high alert. Mm. And like even just sitting down having dinner at the table, there's so much going on when she's sat in silence, like behind behind her eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that was a, br- a really brilliant performance. Yeah, I mean, she is, she is carrying this film. And yeah, it's a fantastic performance. And because this film is full of close-up shots, it's really mm. just straight in on her most of the time. Yeah. And... Yeah, she really carries it well, doesn't she? She's mm. amazing as as mother, as a, like an overprotective mother, but also as the daughter of an overprotective mother. Like that mm. that situation, I couldn't deal with with her mother. Her mother, played by Edda Björgvinsdottir from Under the Tree. Well, you don't want a lovely knitted jumper. Well, yes, of <laughs> course, a nice red one. The red oh, yeah. standing out against all the white. Uh, I really like the idea that traditional Icelandic things like a jumper and lamb soup would just paper over the cracks of yeah. of the disjointed family, um, which they never will. Uh, mm. But I lo- I also really like that first meal where they're sitting down and having soup is mm. so awkward. Yeah. Where they're like, Saga's like, oh, I want to go and find out what's going on with Eva, blah, blah, blah. And family like, no. And it's just everyone sat there in silence, like no one mm. talk about what's happened. And then by the end, when the secrets have been revealed, it's like a completely different mm. meal. The weight's been lifted uh, and they're all just having a nice time with the lamb soup. Yeah. And I killed someone. Yeah. Very good. Magna, what is this kjötsopa? Get less than a quantamol is Sami, 
Já, já. Viltu leggjast í sófan? Mamma, hættu þessu. Það er allt í lagi. Shall we talk about the revelation that we get? Let's. Again, we've, it feels like a, a thing we've seen a couple of times before of Saga returning to this derelict old family home in the countryside mm. to get to the bottom of what these strange memories she's having are and where they come from. And when she gets there, you know, it all floods back. Yeah, um, classic. That there are memories of her her father being basically an abusive drunk. Mm-hmm. Bad dad. Bad dad. Always. Why is every dad a drunk? <laughs> every single one. Someone please explain <laughs> the cultural history behind alcoholic dads in Iceland. Yeah. Um, but that also, it wasn't just her and her sister. There was a third sister. A third sister, baby Katrin. A newborn baby mm. who left unattended. It's an accidental death, really. Completely. I would say, I don't know whether the film was trying to make us believe that the that it was the fault of either child or whether the parents maybe had some sort of, held some sort of blame on the kids. Yeah, well, it felt so, it felt connected to the broader situation of, like this domestic abuse situation mm. even if it wasn't you know probably wasn't related the idea that they were possibly neglectful because they were essentially distracted yeah by I a violent home that's the thing it's it's definitely on the parents and not the kids like mm. i told you not to leave her alone like well what's a six-year-old girl gonna do for yeah. a newborn baby who's choking to death like mm. nothing so you can't blame them but i feel like there was a bit of blame Potentially, uh, but I think ultimately the mother and we see from her kind of we hear about her regular trips Mm. away. She obviously blames herself and can't let go. I guess it's about also about that older generation not being able to address emotions and difficult situations. So there's like a a foreshadowing of it where... Um, Saga goes and meets her friend and they have a conversation and her friend says oh you know that generation are like so fucked up they can't talk about anything and uses an example of I had an uncle and he killed himself and no one ever mentioned Mm. it and I guess that's like strong foreshadowing of the situation we get here that they just decided never to speak about this daughter who had died and, and basically do you think that they did it to try and protect saga well this is the thing from a difficult memory the whole generational thing is kind of key i think here and i think that plays into why they don't really know how to deal with her epilepsy Mm. at one point i think her mum asks shouldn't she just be admitted i was like well she's got epilepsy she's not got Mm. mental health issues like this Mm. is a medical issue that can be treated and it's not one for over the cuckoo's nest (laughs) um but i think yeah i think they well, they didn't want to think about it. I think mm. they wanted to repress the memory uh, and so try to make sure that she never remembered as well. And the same with Johanna. Johanna talks about she does remember this, but she has never brought it up because it stopped dad drinking, stopped him being abusive. And I think everyone just wants the status quo to stay as it is, mm. um, which is kind of fair, I guess. 
Mm. But to deny your child the... Knowledge that they had a sister. Yeah, and that that might be causing her problems to some degree, or whether the parents would even have put two and two together, I don't know. It seems a bit harsh. Memory, like childhood memory, is such an interesting thing. Mm. As to like how much... I mean, there's a lot of debate, isn't there, in psychology. From my psychology A-level, I remember, about memory. And um, obviously memory is like hugely unreliable. Mm. But if something this major did happen when you were... I don't know how old she was. She must four, have been four, yeah. No. Like, would you be able to forget it and not realise that you'd ever had another sister? You probably would. Well, what age... Can you remember your earliest memory from? Um, so I think my earliest memory is from nursery, getting mm-hmm. stickers, at a, animal stickers at a party at the nursery, which is what would be three or four. Yeah, so it's around that time. But I guess, and it's been documented a lot in psychology, if something major had happened as a kid, yeah, you may just mm. forget it. But you may not have even understood what happened. Like, I'm not sure Saga knew that her baby sister died. She was aware something happened, maybe. But beyond that, why would she have any knowledge of what mm. death is at that age? It's inter- very interesting. Mem- memory is fascinating. <laughs> On a completely separate side note, I'm having this Twitter debate, not debate, like a conversation <laughs> about a song but I cannot remember who it's by. Oh my God, sing it to me. I can't sing it to you because I can't remember how it goes. (laughs) But it's basically an early 90s song. Right, okay. That sounds like Björk, early Björk, Mm -hmm. crossed with Blue Monday by New Order. But it's neither of them and it's neither of their songs. And no one has been able to get the song nailed. Like we've had lots of suggestions of things that are all so close to what i'm imagining have but you am made I, this song well up? am i imagining it was it a memory now i'm starting to get worried <laughs> that i've just had a dream or something maybe you should write this song Ooh. see if anyone sues you yeah then. and then i'll finally know. <laughs> yeah, <you'll> know. <laughs> possibly uh yes so memory is a funny thing and a horrible thing as well but ultimately saga I mean, she basically just, if we were to boil this film down to its very essence, a lady has an epileptic fit and then she remembers something from her childhood. I mean, I think that's slightly unfair. If you did that with any (laughs) film, like name a film, The Shining, a man goes to a hotel, has a mental breakdown and tries to kill everyone. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The end. (laughs) It's true. It's true. But yes, Mm. I think there's some interesting things throughout this. Like at the start, you think, oh, her mother, bloody hell. Well, I did anyway. I was like, I don't know how she can stand her mum. And then her dad walks in and he's just this really kind of gentle, Mm. seemingly loving father. It's like, oh, okay. So it's her dad that she gets on with. He Mm. seems lush. And then as the film progresses, you're like, oh, shit. Yeah. Actually, maybe it's not like entirely flipped the other way around but the dad was the one Mm. really that caused this whole mess and her mother is only acting the way she is because she's wants her wants her daughter to be okay i suppose Mm. well that's what i meant about it um kind of flipping 
or questioning your loyalties and that you're kind of about just knowing who to trust or not knowing who to trust. It does take you on a bit of a journey with that. It is an interesting idea. Um, I feel like it's about, it is interesting, this idea about, it's quite redemptive, mm-hmm. I'd say. So at, now we've done the spoiler, we can talk about the end. And <laughs> um, there is a sense that the dark stuff from the past, when that's brought up, it doesn't drive the family apart. It actually brings them closer. Yes. Everybody being in the knowledge of the truth of the situation. They and are still unspoken though, for the most part. Yeah, which is not healthy. But um, <laughs> but she so she has this moment in the hallway with her dad, which is kind of like a you know I see you, I know yeah. moment. And then also this idea of um, she dedicates her book not to Katrin. No. But to her parents, yeah. which I was like, a bit harsh on Katrin, but fine. But um, yeah, I think they, this, the parents still don't want that to be public knowledge, I guess. Mm. And if she dedicates her book, everyone's going to be like, oh, who's Katrin? And then the whole thing is blown open. But I guess that's an act of forgiveness, isn't it? Because yeah. imagine like not remembering your dad was abused, like just thinking your dad was this lovely man and then finding out that he actually had abused your mum. Mm-hmm and beaten her and stuff that's a quite some people that would drive a wedge between you and sure. you would want to like you know distance that relationship but it seems like she is like i accept the past and that now you have moved on we've all moved on yeah let's go with that which is nice because it could have been a less redemptive story very true it's really nice and this I, this thing that they're still not talking about it but the moment when Johanna hands over the photo, it's like mm. I managed to save one photo. I, I welled up. It got mm. me. Like, yeah. I thought the film should have finished 15 minutes earlier. But for that moment alone, I was like, okay, fair enough. Mm. That's And it's, it's sweet. It's like, we're not going to tell the parents, but we're all in acknowledgement. And here is the proof kind of thing. And mm. now you know who Katrin was, what she looked like. And let, let's lay it to rest in a way mm. and i guess when their home at for what's it called for gets demolished there's no chance of there's no link to that past anymore yeah so it's like this is the only piece of evidence now mm. uh, and it was yeah it was just a lovely moment i thought talked about this idea of redemption and stuff and and the kind of fullness of the family life and they all come together and i guess i guess in a way it's kind of reflected in the way the film looks kind of i mean this film started and i was like fucking hell iceland is white but this film is like literally (laughs) just white and i was like i really like that kind of starkness 
but it, it it's bright mm. and it's white and it kind of feels so cold. So cold. Winter in Reykjavik. I mean, there's clearly a decision been made here that she is like this blood red spot. So she has this red coat mm. that she wears or the red jumper. Like she basically has one tone um, <laughs> against, like you say, these stark white backgrounds. Her flat is like very nice, great furniture. It's lovely, isn't it? But um, but very, as you, again, cold tones, greys, blues, and <laughs> whites. And whites. <laughs> so throughout, there's clearly been somebody decided to uh, make her the focus of that. But also, I don't know whether you notice, and it's similar with the music as well. So it starts off really cold, and the mu- and the music is kind of like angular strings and it's all kind of reflecting the her illness i suppose but by the end the color starts to flood back into the film and her flat looks more cozy and things are a bit warmer and i just thought like it takes ages to get there but by the end of the film it does feel like a more comfortable Mm. and i think that adds to the comfort and nice nice comfy hug feeling of the end where you're like yeah. okay everyone's happy the film has sort of returned to a state of normality we're not just in pure barren <laughs> uh iceland we're in a in a in a warmer place now mm. um and the the music itself becomes kind of more gentle piano and it just feels feels a bit more like a a nice family drama rather than what it was which was a kind of stark psychodrama yeah that was cool Mm -hmm. i thought um there were many moments in this film where i was like oh it's them oh it's them could you recognize anyone else this time we haven't done this in a while oh yeah i recognized um her best friend yeah as adult magnea from let me fall yeah christine thora haraldsdottir did you spot anyone else from let me fall the sister. No, she's been in something. <laughs> the sister, the mother, and this guy were all in the Valhalla murders, but I don't think you've seen that, which is brilliant. Um, that's a proper kind of crime thriller series on Netflix. But uh, Vikingo Christiansen, who was the the other junkie, the one who supplied Magnea with her drugs. Oh, yeah. He's a bit of a chameleon, that actor. Yeah, who was he in this? Oh, he pops up as a policeman again. Um, And also, randomly, Saga has a moment with a receptionist at the hospital. I was like, oh, I recognise that lady. Uh, And someone needs to update the IMDb page for this film because there's only about five people listed and there are far more people involved in this film. So I couldn't find out who it was. I had to literally rack my brains. And it was Inga from The County. Ah. Yeah. So many familiar faces. So many familiar faces. It is nice to see them, <laughs> I must say. And Anita Brim, we've only not seen her at all mm. in four series. And here we are, two in a row. Yeah, two great performances. Yeah, brilliant. Both uh, mothers, very different mm. kind of portrayals. But yeah, brilliant. Ending with a King Charles Spaniel, though. <laughs> I thought you were going to bring that guy up. Who The most reluctant actor in this whole film was that dog. <laughs> he was not having a good time. No, but he still looked very cute. It was quite a nice way to, to end the film, I thought, just mm. uh, on, the, on a cute dog. As opposed to a black dog. 
Yeah, what was he? The Grim. What are you on about? The Grim from Harry Potter. Oh, I don't know what that is. Oh, if you see a black dog, it's portent of death. Oh, well, I think generally it is a portent of death and grief and loss and all of those things. Also, I thought depression, but have I made that up? Oh, no, you're... Th- well, no, you're thinking of... Um, so Churchill used to call depression... He, when he was depressed, he used to call it his black dog. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, so I haven't made I don't that. know whether he initiated that phrase or whether he just used it, but... Okay. This is why it's good to have a historian. Historical fact. <laughs> uh, yes. Anyway, let's not end on the black dog. There isn't really anything else to say, but don't flush your fire alarm down the toilet. It's a classic That's way. A public it's health classic, isn't it? Announcement. Can't turn it off in the toilet. Though a long um leaded or leaded of Rieta, or Engin of Fertley in our Longa Dals Riet, though it seem equal midi of Ochur or Say. So there we go, Quake by Tina Hraunsdottir. We enjoyed the drama, but perhaps needed more than just our faded memories of A-level psychology to fully get to grips with its scientific themes. Oh, and I've still not remembered that song. If you think you might know what on earth I was harping on about, please do get in touch. Our email address is kvikminderpod at gmail.com and we can be found on Twitter and Instagram where we're at kvikminderpod, that's K-V-I-K-M-Y-N-D, APOD, and you can subscribe or follow us wherever you get your podcasts. We'd appreciate a rating and or review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, which will help us get seen by more people. And if you're feeling extra generous, we have a Ko-fi page where you can support us if you like what you hear. All our links can be found on Insta, Twitter and in the show notes. We'll be back soon with more Icelandic film goodness, but until then, tack bless. Thanks and goodbye.